Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years, and he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers' great sports' biggest issues. Mr. Ainsworth, I am recording from the office in my new home. I am very excited. <laughs> How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing all right. I'm not, I'm not doing. I'm in a new home, all right, but I'm doing all right. Uh, <laughs> How is the new place? We like it. It's bigger. The yard's bigger. Everything is awesome. Like uh, we'll be able to have more family over. Seating area. It's just going to be wonderful. Now, the one negative is that it's a little further from work, so the commute's going to stink. But uh, I don't mind a little extra time in the morning to listen to F and Sports podcast when it comes out. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into our gold stars and detentions. Mr. Ainsworth, you want to hit us with your first goal? star yeah i'm gonna give jimmy butler a gold star this week for just an incredible playoff run a couple triple doubles in the bubble there including two of the better individual performances i can remember seeing i guess there might be some recency bias there but man he was playing really really well and for being a small business owner if you haven't checked it out check out <laughs> big, big face coffee it's, it's not the cheapest coffee in the world but apparently it works so it's not cheap but he's consistent um <laughs> we'll come back to talking about jimmy butler a little bit later in this podcast uh, i'm gonna give a gold star to 
Brianna Stewart who won the WNBA championship with the Seattle Storm, was the finals MVP. She was all WNBA first team. She's coming back off of a torn Achilles last year, and she's just incredible. Like, the best women's basketball player on the planet right now is Brianna Stewart. So congrats to her winning the title and just coming back off that Achilles and proving that she's still a boss. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, what about your second gold star? Uh, in a similar vein or in staying with the same – theme. I'm actually going to give Russell Wilson a gold star for wearing a Sue Bird jersey into the arena last night. Um, I like seeing Seattle for Seattle. That's nice and fun. I think you see that in a lot of cities, but you don't always see it in rocking the WNBA team. There's a lot of good WNBA basketball to be cheered for in Seattle, and so shout out to Russell Wilson for... He wore it backwards to show off the bird, because he had a jacket on over the outside, but for showing off his Sue Bird jersey on his way in last night. Absolutely. Uh, my next gold star is going to go to Trey Lance, who's the quarterback at North Dakota State. North Dakota State, they're playing one football game this season. They've already played it. It was against Central Arkansas. North Dakota State won. Now, with the COVID pieces and the FCS versus the FBS... Uh, they've essentially played this game. That's it. They're done. And they may come back in the spring. I don't know how all that's going to work. But Trey Lance is their quarterback. He's a first-round pick, especially as a quarterback. But he has incredible talent. He can throw. He can run. He played that game, led his team to a victory, and declared for the NFL draft. And, friends, <laughs> that's how you should do it. Like, they're not paying him to stay in North Dakota. Bounce. It's time for you to get to New York, my friend. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Ainsworth, what about your next gold star? Uh, my next gold star goes back to the NBA. I'm going to uh, Russell Westbrook. It came out last week that he left an $8,000 tip for the cleaning staff in his room in the Orlando bubble. Obviously, we don't have the means to offer that much money to our cleaning staff, but I think everyone can agree that the cleaning staffs at places like hotels or schools or uh, grocery stores or wherever they be are working overtime and extra hard these days. And so shout out to Russell Westbrook for noticing that and leaving a large tip that made someone or some group of people's day for sure. No, absolutely. I would love to be in the position to leave $8,000 tips. I like to consider myself a good <laughs> tipper, but eight grand's like eight. That's big money. Um, the next call star goes to someone who Mr. Ainsworth and I have talked about already through the podcast. It's the 2020 NFL Comeback Player of the Year, Alex Smith. Uh, and no, the award hasn't been given out just yet, but Alex Smith got onto the field, and that's incredible. If you guys have seen the documentary that ESPN put out, the injury, amputation possibilities, near-death experience, and for Alex Smith to be on the field for the Washington football team, and, you know, he's still got it. Like, what Alex Smith was... He still is, like from an accuracy standpoint, manager standpoint, like he is not going to lose you games. So for him to get out there, he took a couple of hits. It was incredible. His family was in the stands. So all of his kids are celebrating, his wife's celebrating. It was the best story in the NFL yesterday, the fact that Alex Smith was able to get on the field. So gold star to him. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, you got one more gold star for us? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, but my last gold star is going to go to LeBron James. Just don't take this guy for granted, guys. He's 17 years in the league, 35 years old, controlling the NBA Finals in a way that is like he's playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. Fourth Finals MVP on the third team. Also 10 Finals appearances in 14 years. I mean, like, just the list goes on and on. People said he's doing it in the East, so he goes to the West and wins the whole thing in a total of 21 games. It, like, it just... It's just incredible. Just an incredible career that is still going. And we will talk a little bit more about him as well a little bit later. Uh, LeBron's incredible. My final gold star is going to go to Joe Morgan. I found out just a few minutes ago, Joe Morgan 
Second baseman for the Big Red Machine, the Cincinnati Reds, uh, the great baseball team back in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, passed away, age of 77. So uh, I remember first learning about Joe Morgan watching Baseball Tonight on ESPN and just loving the show, loving the insight. And it was my dad who told me how awesome a baseball player he was and how great that infield was for the Big Red Machine and how incredible that Cincinnati team was. And so then you do your research as a kid and you find out, yeah, he was an incredible player. It's He lived a great life. It's sad for anyone to pass away, obviously. I imagine that There'll be a lot of folks remembering fondly the Big Red Machine and remembering fondly the career of Joe Morgan. Uh, life well lived. Rest in peace, Joe Morgan. That's my final gold star. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, how about we jump into our detentions? Who are you going to detention up? I got a couple of group detentions this week. My first one's going to go to the Oakland A's. And here, here's my thing on the Oakland A's. Is they're really not a bad or malicious franchise. They were really just piling in on what I'm sure they felt like piling in on anyway. The same Astros slander that most of Major League Baseball was doing. But when it was apparent that they were going to be playing the Astros in the second round of the Major League Baseball playoff, they decided to take to Twitter, the the Oakland Athletics did, and go off on some tangent about how we want the Astros and we want this and we want that and they can't do this and they can't do that and this all these other things about trashing the Astros because of the scandal that came out from a few years ago, right? And that they're they're the real AOS champions and blah blah blah. And then they got beat three to one by the Astros. And so like, I I guess my thought there is like, man, you better wait and see all that stuff till you really, really know you got it because the Astros you can talk about three or four years ago. You can talk about how they didn't do well in the 60-game season. They're in the ALCS for the fourth time in a row. This is a good baseball team. And <laughs> to sit here and be like, oh, we want them. We want, oh, God. Like, that's just a bad look. And so I appreciate the confidence and bravado, but maybe do something to earn it. The tough part about this is that the Astros are good which only makes the garbage can stuff even more infuriating, right? They probably right. didn't even need that. Any, I don't want to get too much into it because I'm a Yankee fan and we lost. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I can't even say good luck, Tampa. I hate those guys. Um, <laughs> my first attention goes to head football coach at the University of Florida, Dan Mullen. The University of Florida went into this week the fourth-ranked team in the country, which, listen, there's a lot of issues even with that, right, because the Pac-12 and the Big Ten haven't even started playing yet. But they were ranked number four. They went to Kyle Field. Uh, in College Station, Texas, to play the Texas A&M Aggies. Texas A&M beat them. Mullen talks after the game and says, man, the fact that Texas A&M had fans in their seats made a huge difference. And when I go back to Florida, man, we need to get fans in the stands. And it's like, so let me make sure that I understand you correctly, Coach Mullen. You went to A&M. You were ranked higher. You lost. You lost to Jimbo Fisher, who used to be the coach at Florida State. So because you can't beat A&M, the University of Florida now has to assume the liability for putting fans in the stands in a state in which COVID is still growing day by day. Because you can't coach. Like, what? what is that? Like, just beat Jimbo. Beat Texas A&M. I don't understand that mindset. I don't even know why you would say that. I hope that he thinks about that and comes out and says, hey, listen, you know, heat of the moment, whatever the university does in terms of fans, that makes sense and I'm going to support. But if he doesn't come out and say any of that stuff, he just looks like an idiot. Detention, Coach Mullen. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, how about another detention, sir? Well, part of me wants to detention the A&M student section. The truth is that every student section on Saturdays gives me anxiety just watching college football because the student section seems to not be able to follow any protocols and rules. I will say I'm going to give out one detention to a different fan base, though, and I'm giving it to Lakers Nation. And I understand that Lakers Nation is large and Lakers Nation is loud and Lakers Nation is going to come for us after this. But I, I can't sit here and say that I'm okay with what happened after Danny Green missed a shot to end game. 
game five, right? So Danny Green, if you didn't watch the finals, misses a relatively open three to end game five. LeBron drives, collapses the defense. He kicks out to Green up top. Green hits it, misses a three off the front of the rim, hits the front of the rim, and the Lakers lose the game. They probably shouldn't have even been that close. They were getting beat pretty handily throughout the game. LeBron brings them back, and they almost win the game. And everyone's blaming Danny Green. And there's a there's a handful of people, including Jay Williams, or inaccurately saying that James didn't make the right play. The right play was not shoot over four people. The right play was find the guy. Yeah, he that made the much. right play. Yeah. Danny Green um, just hit the shot. Right. And people missed shots and Danny Green missed a shot and they lost the game. And to hear that, A, Lakers Twitter and Lakers Nation going off about how cut this guy, this guy didn't get a ring if we win, blah, 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 because he missed a shot is ludicrous. Like he is a big part of the reason they won lots of their games leading up to that. He's, he gets out from three in a couple of earlier playoff games. He's a great defender, so on, right? And then he goes on the podium on the podium during the press conference leading up to the game on Sunday, talking about how his wife and he are getting death threats through social media in the bubble. Guys, what you- he missed a jump shot. Think about how small that is on the scale of being having a rough day at work. Think about how many Lakers fans and people in LA have bad days at work and are bad at their jobs. Like, you don't get to go on this death threat rant tangent because you have access to social media and are gonna go back door to his wife's Instagram or Twitter just because the dude missed a shot. That's not, that's this wildly inappropriate reaction to sports that is only seems to be growing as social media grows, and that's got to stop. So Lakers Nation, detention. So a couple of things. Number one, you actually said the words backdoor on his wife, so I just want you to know that you said those words. Um, and, <laughs> and then uh, if any of those guys saw Danny Green in real life, they don't want that smoke. Dude's six eight. No! <laughs> anyway, my next attention, my next attention goes to uh, one Tom Brady, and I'm not a Tom Brady hater. I'm definitely not a fan, though, because I'm a Jets fan, right? So he's tortured us for a decade, over a decade. And the Tampa game last week, it's obvious that on Thursday night, he didn't know that it was fourth down at the end of that game against the Bears. And he puts up the four even, like everyone sees it. But then they go to the podium, they ask, hey, Tom, did you know what down it was. Yeah, I knew what down it was. And then Bruce Aaron's like, yeah, he knew what down it was. He's like, no, you didn't. You didn't know what down it was. It's fine. You made a mental mistake. You have more Super Bowl rings than, what, 30 NFL franchises. Like, you're cool, dude. You made a mistake. It's fine. You're getting older. Maybe you slip. I'm sure that this isn't the first time this happened that you lost track of downs. But don't pretend like it didn't happen. Like, uh, uh, Judge Judy used to say, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. Like, dude, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. You lost track of the downs. It's fine. It happens. Detention for lying. Now you're not in trouble for the thing that you did. You're in trouble for the cover-up. There you go. That's a that's a very common middle school detention, actually. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, and so my final detention, Mr. Ainsworth, I think it's going to be one that really hits you in the heart because I'm detentioning Jerry Jones because of the whole situation with Dak Prescott. So now Dak Prescott tears up his ankle. He's going to have to have surgery. He's going to be out four to six months. I believe that he's going to be back. Why he didn't get a long-term contract from the Cowboys is beyond me. And I don't get the sense that the Cowboys offered him some sort of a contract and then what he turned down was reasonable. Like, I get the sense that they didn't offer him a reasonable contract and Dak's like, I'm not doing that. And then you franchise him. Now he gets injured. The whole situation, for me, infuriates me. Because all Dak has done is everything you've ever asked Dak to do. And if you as the GM owner built a better team around him, especially from the defensive side, maybe you would have more success in terms of being in the playoffs and those sorts of things. So now Dak is injured. Now you're going to give him some sort of incentive-based contract or whatever. I don't even know what you're going to do. If I was Dak Prescott, 
I would never play for the Cowboys again. And if I saw Dak leave and I were a Cowboys fan, like I would never forgive Jerry Jones for that. I would feel the way that Cowboys fans feel when Jerry fired Tom Landry. Like, there's some of those folks that never came back. They never forgave Jerry, and that's how I would feel. I'm curious, how do you feel as a Cowboys fan? I mean, the initial reaction was like, this is the worst thing. Like, the worst thing on the field that's happened for Dak. Like, obviously, he's well known for his victories and, like, fighting through much bigger adversity off the field. But this is as bad as it's been for Dak, and I just feel awful for the guy. But the funny thing is exactly what you're bringing up. That reaction, the, oh, and Jerry never paid this guy reaction hit everyone at about the same time as he's getting onto the cart and it's like pissed clearly Dak Prescott a there was some shock involved I'm sure and why he didn't feel the pain the same way but there's also this like anger in him right as he's getting on the cart and there's part of it that's like I would rather be playing I can't believe Lima guys out here to hang there's also clearly part of it that is this is about to screw the whole thing up because the franchise tag piece and negotiating and if you're <laughs> Anyway, if you're an NFL fan and your quarterback or your star of some sort is holding out for more money and you're sitting here watching this happen, I hope you understand that the player is always in the right to hold out for more money because, or the only dude's benefiting from players coming back and getting paid less money, I should say, and not holding out for more money is the owners. The owners are the ones setting the cap. The owners are the ones that are making the money off the cap when they, you know, for the rest of the money that they make as a franchise. The owners are the ones that are dividing up like, oh, well, you're not really worth it because of XYZ. It's all the owners. The owners are making all this money off the top of it. The Cowboys are worth billions and billions of dollars. And Dak was asking for a contract that is now, at the time it seemed ridiculous, but now kind of in line with market value, right? If you look at the fact that like he probably is a top eight or 10 quarterback and in the next 18 months, you're going to see the top eight or 10 quarterback contracts all being between 32 and $40 million a year, 45, I guess, counting the Mahomes deal. Like it, it just, it's just sad. And it, it just, he was right to fight for it. And if anything, I feel bad that he even came back and played at all. And maybe should have just kept sitting. Um, it should have went with the Emma Smith plan and just sat out. Like, that's and said like, done. try and win without me. You don't know, see what happens. Um, Absolutely. Bad. Um, bad. Oh gosh, it frustrates me. It makes my blood boil. This podcast though, we're going to continue on. We will soldier through. We will talk about the best player in the NBA finals, as well as talking about LeBron James. We'll also talk about <laughs> we'll also talk about the NFL. We got a little multiple choice segment, several questions that we want to ask now that we're through the first quarter of the season. Then we'll talk about college football and we'll talk about their overtime rules and whether or not it's the best overtime in sports. So without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth. NBA finals have wrapped up. The Los Angeles Lakers win their 17th championship. As a Knicks fan, that makes me sick. Um, <laughs> but we want to talk about a couple of players from the finals. So the thesis statement reads, Jimmy Butler has done more for his legacy than LeBron James has during these NBA finals. If I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth, how are you going to grade that thesis statement? I'm thinking it's like a B-. minus. Um, I really I see arguments for it and arguments against it. And so I'm doing a classic straddling of the B minus C plus line and I'll be like on the B minus side. But I guess you and I were talking earlier off pod about how interesting this thesis is because of what the outcome was of the finals. And so what do you think the, the grade would be? I'm going to go C and it's the same straddling that I'm doing. The difference is, is that you're obviously an easier grader. So you give the B minus. <laughs> I'm just going to go with the C. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so Easy A Ainsworth gives a higher grade, but basically has the same reasoning <laughs> as I do. The thesis statement, Jimmy Butler has done more for his legacy than LeBron James has during these NBA Finals. I went C, you went B-, minus, but I felt like we were in a similar spot. Like there's some good and some bad here. So talk to me a little bit about your reasoning. So if you're at all comparing these two, it's interesting because it comes down to they also both had an all-star with them. And I, as much as I love Bam Adebayo, the other Kentucky Wildcat out of the all-stars that were in the series, Anthony Davis played much better. But the the deal that's interesting looking at Butler and James is they both come in at ninth and 10th in all-time average game scores from the NBA Finals. Uh, Butler came in ninth at 27.7. LeBron James come in 10th at 27.5. And that's an analytic stat that looks at offensive and defensive impact and the average over the course of the series and so that they're both in the top 10 echoes how similarly well they both played. I think a lot of my hedging on not just giving this an an A or not just giving this an F is really more about who we thought was who 10 days ago, right? Like what did we think about these two guys coming in and thus what did the NBA Finals do for them? Because as we sit here in October of 2020, in October of 2019, there were a lot of people that wrote off Jimmy as going to South Beach to kind of take the easy fun route and have a good time till they found a second superstar in South Beach and play dominoes, smoke cigars, eat some good Cuban food, and, and have like, a good time. And that, like, he would be the number two. Like, there were people who didn't even right. think he was going to be the lead dog there. And, well, he was going to be the number two, and that they were going to go get someone in the summer of 21, and that he'd be the number three, and that he was just going to have a good time, right? Because the Philly thing hadn't worked out, the Minnesota hat thing hadn't worked out, and the Chicago thing hadn't worked out. And then we're sitting here in October of 2020, like, holy bleep, is this guy a top five player in the NBA? And I, I'm not sure that that's not a reactionary, have some recency bias, but he certainly has changed a lot the other thing about lebron though in this nba finals is while he is never going to have the six titles in eight years deal that jordan had right because i don't see him playing enough to have a six titles in eight years run and so you know he probably has three or some more seasons left in his that would end the goat argument though if he did play long enough to do that what i will say is is that unlike kobe bryant who tried to compare himself to jordan and do everything just like michael jordan what lebron james has done is he has said screw that narrative i'm writing my own story my book is going to be better than jordan's book like they're going to be very different books Books, very different plot lines, very different themes and characters and whatever. And I think this book is better, right? Like that's so Jordan and LeBron comparison is no longer like this six to three or six to two or whatever. The four finals and three cities with three franchises with three completely different groups is an entirely different thing than winning six and eight years. I'm not sitting here saying which one you have to think is better, Shock. I, I know that I'm the millennial and and not that you're an old man, but you're going to sit here and probably talk to me about Jordan's <laughs> and the other thing, right? Whenever you but, say not that you're an old man, you're obviously implying that I'm an old man that's fine go ahead (laughs) but i will say that they are dramatically different and that they both could read as best player of all time like if the other did not exist there is no argument for the for the one that does exist does that make sense and so i guess i'm at i don't know which one of those did more i guess i can sit here and say which one i did not see coming 10 days ago but i can't say i don't know that does that mean he did more okay so this is all interesting i think that we actually even have similar reasoning as the kind of why we shook out where we did. I want to go back to the LeBron piece of this first. The reason why the thesis statement is an F to me is because LeBron James's legacy, I don't think for many people has changed at all. So whatever you thought about LeBron coming into this season, you still think about him now that he's won a fourth ring. I think that that's how the majority of people are. So in other words, with LeBron, it very much is the GOAT argument. And that's really what the context around which I kind of think about this particular thesis statement. So if you thought LeBron was the greatest of all time, there is nothing that he did in the season and in the bubble that doesn't make you think that he still is. 
right? He was second in MVP voting. He led his team to the finals. He won the championship. He's got four rings with three different franchises and four finals MVPs. There's nothing that LeBron James did that's going to convince you that he's not the GOAT. So if you thought he was, you got reinforcement. If you didn't think he was, then you're going to point to what the path was coming out of the West, that it wasn't as strong as maybe it has been in previous years. You're going to look at Miami in the finals and say, well, that's Jordan never had to play a team that easy when he won his championship, right? You'll, you'll make the excuses that you've always made for wanting to ding LeBron for whatever reason. Right. So LeBron's legacy for those folks, it hasn't changed. Now, the A part of this argument is then how you consider Jimmy Butler. Right. And you talked about, it. I mean, the, the Minnesota piece in particular, because he won in Chicago. He even won in Philly. Right. And you love to say, like, if it won for four bounces, like Jimmy right. Butler's legacy might be totally different because Completely. maybe that Philly team wins the championship. Right. And so the Minnesota piece is the piece that I felt like really dug at who Jimmy Butler was looked at as being. So Chicago, Derrick Rose got that MVP. Thibodeau keeps getting coaching jobs. It's almost like people forget that Jimmy was on that team. Even Joakim Noah can still get jobs. He's 137 years old. People look at that Chicago team, and they, like, forget that Jimmy was there. Like, Jimmy was as big a piece in that Chicago mini run that they had, 60 wins, Eastern Conference Finals, going up against LeBron. Jimmy Butler was as important to that as any member of that team. And if you look at Philly, we see what Philly was with Jimmy. We see what Philly was without Jimmy. They look like a dysfunctional franchise without him. And they paid money to guys like Al Horford and Tobias Harris. And it was supposed to be better this year than it was. And what ended up happening is your coach got fired. You're not sure if you want to keep your two superstars. And people are still complaining that you let Jimmy walk out the door. So then there's the Minnesota piece. And this is where his legacy got dinged. Because he went to Minnesota. He went there with Tom Thibodeau. And the, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns, Wiggins, whatever the dynamic was, it didn't work. And it felt dysfunctional. And I was actually living in Minnesota at the time. It felt really, really, really bad. And so when people see him go to Miami, they're thinking, hey, he's not going to be the number one there. What is Miami going to do if they don't get anyone else? For him to now come and take this Heat team, and while you might want to argue LeBron's path, you can't argue Jimmy's path. Jimmy's path to get to the finals was as difficult as any because he had to knock out Milwaukee, who was incredible, best record in the league all year. Then had to knock out the Celtics, who gave LeBron as much of a run as anyone during his second stint in Cleveland. So for Miami to come through and then for Jimmy to come and get a couple of triple doubles, he was the best player in these finals. Like his team didn't win, but I do think that he will be remembered as the best player in these finals in terms of his performance versus LeBron, who won that finals MVP. Well, and I also think it's interesting. Jimmy did so well in games one through five, and especially in the two games that Miami won. He played so incredible. I mean, game three is like legitimately one of the best individual performances I've ever seen. Um, he's playing. He played so well in games one through five that we're not sitting here bashing him for game six because he clearly ran out of gas. He was doing so much on his own with Goron Hurt, and Bam was not 100%. I mean, that's the thing. He didn't have his he didn't have his fellas with him. Like, I mean, right. when you look at the but here, situation, that's a tough he, deal. Here's the deal, though, is at 35, had LeBron run out of gas, he would have never heard the end of it. And that may be a difference that that's just how we compare, how, like, we talk about these two guys and, and that we're surprised by one and not the other. But if Jimmy had won the series, the outcome of LeBron this, LeBron can't do that, LeBron the Lakers this, the Lakers, like, that would have been never ending. 
never, never ending. It would have been a thousand times worse than when the Heatles lost in 2011 or whatever that was. Right? I, mean, I mean, I I agree with you, except it just I, it's hard for me to truly quantify it just because it didn't happen. So right, like if right. if the I guess what I'm saying though is because I can imagine where that is. To me, keeping like Butler's not going to catch flack for no showing in Game Six. He just ran out of gas. He like. And that LeBron kept any of that talk from it. There was never a point in the finals where people were like, well, LeBron LeBron might not be up to snuff here. It was more like, oh, Davis is also really good. There was never a point in the finals where like you ever ever had thought to have that conversation about LeBron. I don't know. I, I did hear a little bit of chatter after the Danny Green, they missed the shot, and then it's 3-2. And the chatter wasn't that LeBron wasn't up to snuff so much as if he lost this, it'd be the worst finals loss like this would have been worse than the dallas loss i think it was 2000 was that 2007 is that i'm I'm way early the the loss to dallas whenever that was his first year with miami people were saying that that's his worst finals loss right because that was the one miami was favored to win and then didn't win and they were saying that if he would have lost this series in miami that that would have been worse than that and it only came after game five so i don't know how much steam it really caught Uh, that being said even with all of even with all of those pieces taken into account i still don't think that people's opinion like whatever your opinion was of LeBron James it wasn't going to change even if you'd have lost this series I don't think that they would have changed if you believe that he was great you would have pointed to the fact that he had 10 finals appearances in two different conferences three different teams that he led to the finals like it took a historic uh performance from Jimmy Butler like these would have been the things that would have been said and if he would have lost obviously he would have been torn down because this is what people who don't like LeBron James do. They feel like they have to tear him down in order to build up Jordan as if Jordan didn't play and build himself up. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. Like, Jordan was just great. Like, that's just is what it is. I don't, anyway. That that stuff frustrates me so much because I don't know why you have to tear down someone who's great to feel like you're building someone else up. You're not well, really doing that. And that actually kind of plays into what I think about this thesis too is I don't want to give it a B- minus and make it feel like I'm not impressed by Jimmy and or somehow, like, more impressed by one or the other. They both had tremendous performances. I mean, when you look at the list of people that have done what Jimmy Butler did, like the multiple 30-plus point, triple point doubles in a single final series, the only other person that's ever done that is LeBron, right? Like, <laughs> that, like that, that this is, I mean, they're in the same air now as far as that accomplishments go. And that's why I opened with the fact that they had such a similar NBA Finals average game score across the six games and that they're both in the top 10. <laughs> so I, I think that that really speaks to there were two historic performances. It doesn't have to be one was great and one was not or Can vice I throw versa. something else at you too? Like, I, I'm not... The two best players in this series were LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And pretty much any series that the Lakers would have played, that would have been the case with the exception of maybe the Clippers, right? Because Kawhi... Maybe. Or if they would have played Milwaukee, right? Something like that. But um, even then, it would have been they have two of the top three. Absolutely. So, And this is where I kind of go to. Like, this whole idea of Jimmy definitely was down weapons. And I still think that Miami had a lot of weapons. <laughs> like, I feel like we are... Maybe not us in particular... But I feel like the narrative is almost like the narrative was when LeBron was taking those Cleveland teams really far. Like, we took the Cleveland team to the finals, and the second best player was Mo Williams. It's like, right. this this Miami team wasn't that. Because, like, I understand if Bam's not healthy, that's a huge deal. So I'm not trying to knock that. He's the all-star. He's incredible. Goran Dragic, also incredible player. And they still had Kedrick Nunn, and they still had Tyler Hero, and they still had Duncan Robinson, and they still had... 
uh, Andre Iguodala. Like they, it felt like you get to a lot. You start listing off a lot of Miami Heat players before you get to the third best Laker. One, and I think it's interesting to look at truthfully the way the NBA can change by looking at like Miami was that way. I'd also argue that Denver was that way in the Western Conference Finals. I also would like there are two clear ways to build a team. I weirdly think the Clippers were trying to do that. If you look at what they were, it didn't work as well. But you yeah, have Kawhi. Paul George ain't in that stratosphere. That's why it didn't work. But you have you have Kawhi and then. And they were trying to also have Kawhi and Paul George and then a slew of other guys that are also very good, right? And I, I'm not going to rip Paul George a whole lot, but I... No, I am. Paul George is a lot closer to the other guys than he is to Kawhi. That's to, the issue. Um, I would argue that Toronto was doing the same thing where they had... They might have had player one or two, but they had players three through ten. And then, you know, there's elements of the Boston Celtics that look like that from time to time as well. Like, I guess I'm getting at several of these top teams were all doing more something similar to what Miami was doing. They didn't have the two top ten in the NBA kind of guys. Um, I think the Clippers, like I said, thought they had that. But most of the teams in the as the NBA wound down were really more like had a really good one through eight guy. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is... James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But... You're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're a listener to our show, you can use... FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, the first quarter of the NFL season is officially over. We've made it. Most teams have played at least four games. So now we could do a little bit of a report card assessment. I actually just did my report card grades because the first quarter at my school's over <laughs> as well. Let's start with a few multiple choice questions. We'll go first question. The NFL MVP at the quarter mark is A, Russell Wilson, B, Aaron Rodgers, C, Josh Allen, or D, someone else. What do you say to that, Mr. Ainsworth? I'm sticking with a Russell Wilson. I knew you'd go uh, with Russ. <laughs> I yeah, knew you'd you, go with what, what do you say? I mean, listen, it probably is Russ, but can I just say, it's a lot closer than I oh, think yeah, some people yeah, want to yeah. give it credit for. Like, Aaron Rodgers' team is undefeated, too. And I do think that coming into the season, as a matter of fact, I know this to be the case. Coming into the season, we did our NFL preview, and I said, no one's going to be surprised if Seattle has a great record because they got Russell Wilson, they got Pete Carroll, they always have right. defensive pieces. Like, the fact that Seattle's doing what they're doing really isn't a surprise to anyone. Now, Baltimore, Kansas City... New Orleans and Tampa, that was the talk of the league. But I specifically said if Seattle came in and was 12 and 4 and had the one seed, nobody would question that. So now they're basically just doing that. I don't think people thought Green Bay would be this good because they didn't draft, they drafted a backup quarterback, right? Where's Aaron Rodgers' pieces? He doesn't have weapons. All of a sudden, he's got weapons. It's like, 
There's a tight end that caught three touchdown passes last week, and I have no idea who he is. In fact, I can't even tell you his name, but I know that there was a tight end that caught three touchdown passes for Green Bay last week. I'm sure that Mr. Ainsworth is actually looking that up right now. Um, But they got (laughs) receivers out of everywhere. Like, all of a sudden, the team that didn't have weapons has all kinds of weapons. And defensively, they're actually doing some things. And they're undefeated. And I've been telling you about Buffalo. If you just listen to me, you would know that Buffalo is going to be good. (laughs) I mean, I think the only thing we disagree about Buffalo is that I think if New England has a healthy Cam Newton, they win the division. But uh, that's fine. The the thing I will say is that Russell Wilson is providing an interesting double-edged case or double-edged sword of a case for the MVP and that he's 5 and 0 about 73% com- 72.8% uh, completion 1500 yards through 5 games almost 20 uh I guess counting rushing is over 20 touchdowns and he also has the clutch moments in nationally televised games like last night right we recorded this on Monday this week um and he on Sunday night football through the cl- the clutch DK Metcalf pass and the funny thing is is any other second year receiver having the DK Metcalf year to me, is like, oh my gosh, everyone's freaking out about how this guy's going to launch himself into this next stratosphere of NFL, all whatever, Hall of Fame, everything, right? And it's all bit that, oh man, look at what Russ is making DK Metcalf into, right? Like, and that's not that people aren't like also patting DK Metcalf on the back, but they know this is an athletic freak of nature that Russell Westbrook, that Russell Wilson, excuse me, is using very, very well. Houston Homer, how did Russell Westbrook work his way in? <laughs> um, but no, I, I think he just he has both sides of that coin, right? He he really has both types of stories. There's the stats and Josh Allen, right? Because Josh Allen, while it's not pretty, is winning and doing well, and then. And there's like Aaron Rodgers is also five and zero and has this more of a narrative piece where like you can say that second year with a new coach and he's they drafted his backup last year so he's pissed and he's coming out for more and this that and the other right it's it's his turn or whatever and I just think that you look at Russell Wilson and he's got both sides of that coin he's got the he's coming back for the Super Bowl he's going to win it again he's in the, this tough division in the NFC West. He's making the clutch plays on Sunday night football, Monday night football, whatever it may be. And statistically, he is dominating the NFL. And his team is 5-0. and And he's got all of these things, right? And so that's why I think that he's my very obvious choice. I, my, my question for you really stems from, you left an open D where you could say someone else. Is there someone else you think should be in this conversation? Are we missing somebody? Uh, there's no one who I would obviously say, okay, this person. What I will say is the Cleveland Browns are 4-1. and one. And it's not that Baker is the reason that they're 4-1. It's not that Odell's the reason that they're 4-1. and one. If you could give a unit the MVP, the Cleveland Browns offensive line, they are road-grading people. And Nick Chubb might have been in this conversation had he not gotten injured. But Nick Chubb got injured, and they haven't missed a beat. And they have the best, they have the best running back tandem, right? And I understand people having issues with their current running back situation, because if you look at the past and whatever. That offensive line uh, yeah. has nothing to do with Kareem Hunt and him hitting women, right? That offensive line is going out there, they're playing the game, and they're doing a great job of rogue ready for whoever they put back there. And Baker has time to throw, and even OBJ has time to throw. He threw a pass yesterday, right? Uh, they're, throwing, <laughs> they're doing these receiver double passes and the gimmick plays. You can only do that when your offensive line is really good. And, they, I mean, that, that would be... The one caveat. Can I just say two things? One, uh, I don't think that New England, 
even with a healthy Cam Newton, would definitively be able to beat out Buffalo. And this is what I've been saying the whole time. I, I really do believe that Buffalo. Yeah, is really I said that. I Josh, said that's what we would disagree on. I think that's what disagreeing about uh, Buffalo. Josh Allen, in terms of the season that he's put together, and. Like, it's not just him running anymore. He's throwing the ball. All of a sudden, Stefan Diggs opens up the whole field. Like, they have a deep threat. It's incredible. Uh, so that's the first thing. Josh Allen deserves a lot of respect in this conversation. Uh, and then the, the the final thing is that Robert Tanyan. That's that's the tight end who caught the three touchdowns. <laughs> uh, Robert Tanyan. Uh, pick him up on your fantasy team. Uh, the next question. So now we've got a couple of NFL head coaches who have been fired, one of which we've talked about extensively. <laughs> the next multiple choice question. The best mo- – the best – potential NFL head coaching opening is A, the Houston Texans, B, the Atlanta Falcons, C, the New York Jets, or D, someone else. Now, I have a feeling where you're going to go. Where are you going to go, love, Mr. I love that C, the New York Jets is on here because, if I'm not mistaken, they haven't fired Gase yet, right? Uh, the keyword is potential. The keyword is potential. The best potential NFL head coaching um, opening. I, you know, without being able to read the future and see who's where, I, I think that it's the Houston Texans. They've got a guy named Deshaun Watson, and that's good enough for me. I don't like a, a young quarterback that you have for a few years now, you can really build around. He's the guy. That's the easy answer to me. I don't really know that he's much more discussion. What do you think? No, you're probably right. That the pieces to consider, right? D, the someone else. We don't know who else is going to come open, right? So that's something to consider. Like if all of a sudden Andy Reid decided to retire and Kansas City comes open, well, then this isn't really much of a question, right? We don't anticipate well, <laughs> something like that, obviously. Right. So, yeah. um, so the D, someone else, I'm throwing that caveat in just because you never know what will happen. Now, Deshaun Watson, J.J. Watt, Houston makes a ton of sense. Of the teams on this list, only one of them's been to the Super Bowl recently. And they got an NFL MVP on their roster. So the Atlanta Falcons having Matt Ryan, that could make some sense. Now, people might want to look at Matt Ryan and say, oh, he's showing his age. Julio Jones has been nicked up now. They still have Calvin Ridley. So even if Julio's nicked up, Julio might be the best number two receiver in the NFL if Calvin Ridley becomes the number one. If you protect Matt Ryan, Matty Ice can play. His numbers aren't bad. I mean, it's historic comebacks against Atlanta's defense that even have the Cowboys in that game, man, to be able to win it. So (laughs) it's not Matt Ryan. So if you look at that team, you might want to say, okay, they were pretty recently in the Super Bowl. The, the the piece that the Jets would have is that it's they, they have as much potential as anyone to not win a game this year and then have the first pick in the draft. And you might love Deshaun Watson. You might love Matt Ryan. You might love Trevor Lawrence even more than any of those guys. And I understand <laughs> that Sam Darno is still the Jets quarterback, but if you can get him out, get a second-round draft pick, I don't think you'd be able to get a first-round pick for him based on all the stuff that's coming out in terms of rumors. Maybe then the Jets would be intriguing to someone. I just don't know. I, I got to say, though, I'm sticking with my last week prediction. I think it was just last week where I said that he should pull the Eli Manning card and not go play for that franchise. But maybe you can head coach that team and, and talk him out of it. So, Well, I mean, again, if it was the right guy, what if Dabo Sweeney gets the Jets job? Now, all of a sudden, it's a different story, right? Because a dude I, makes a difference. Like, if, if it was Belichick who left New England, it would make a difference, right? Not going to happen. <laughs> I saw Sweeney on a, a list of people of, you know, obviously it's fanfare, but of people hoping he gets the Houston job because of his connections with Watson, actually. so No, that would know. make sense, too. I do think that if you ask Dabo in a moment of honesty who's the best <laughs> quarterback he's coached, I think he'd say Trevor Lawrence. Oh, I mean, he should. I, I would argue that Watson had a way more fun last season with the way that championship happened. But, that yeah, no, Trevor Lawrence is tremendous. So let's go ahead with our final question, which is a true-false question. So our multiple-choice segment just got flipped upside down on its head. Uh, true or false? 
The NFL should put the New Orleans Saints sequester plan from their training camp in place for each team in the league to conclude the season. Let me give you the background, and then, Parker, you can jump in with your true-false. So the New Orleans Saints, during training camp, actually uh, got a hotel, got four floors of the hotel, sequestered New Orleans Saints players and staff in this hotel. Now, what's the difference between sequester and require? Require means you have to do it. Sequester means it's open to you. This is an option. You could come do this. And so about 100 New Orleans Saints players and staff members took them up on this. And they stayed in the hotel in a bubbled environment for the entirety of the training camp. And they had no COVID issues. We know that based on the NBA season wrapping up, bubble scenarios can work. Now, this is not the exact same bubble scenario because the NBA had everyone on one site. This would be a model where individual teams would essentially create their own bubbles within their cities. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because Parker Ainsworth's adopted father, Mike Golick, (laughs) uh, actually (laughs) put this out and said, hey, it might be time for the NFL to go in this direction and create these mini bubbles where teams essentially are keeping all their staff and players because between what's happening with the Patriots, Buffalo, Tennessee, it's it's getting crazy how the schedule is having to be manipulated now and teams are losing their bye weeks and maybe it's the time for the NFL to consider something like this. So true false, Mr. Ainsworth, the NFL should go in this route. What do you think? So I remember a few weeks back, I said on this podcast that based on what the Saints were doing with some of their skill guys, and could you do that with things like quarterback rooms or pro bowlers or guys that are just too important to your franchise? I I don't understand why teams aren't looking at bubbling themselves in some sort of way. I don't understand how you can look at what's happened in the NFL and all of the cases we've seen pop up in the last two or three weeks, and that the NBA just went 100 days or whatever it was in a bubble in Orlando with 20-something teams there and had no cases. Obviously, they had a couple guys break rules, including my Houston Rockets, Daniel House, but There's they had no cases. crazy chicken wing stories. but Crazy chicken wing stories. But no one got the COVID. And so, like, what I'm, what I'm getting at here is that it clearly works, right? Like, bubbling up clearly works. You can keep it out. And obviously, NFL is a little bit different because it's a lot of guys, and you probably have to do some sort of a sequestering type thing like you're talking about as opposed to a requiring type thing. But man, I just, I don't understand why teams wouldn't be doing this. I think true, they should be doing it. So it's not even just the NBA proving that this works, right? The WNBA did this. Right. Soccer did this. Right. Now, here's the caveat. Major League Baseball is in their playoffs. They're in their championship series now, right? You got Dodgers. Going up against the Braves, you have Houston going up against Tampa. And the NFL could look at Major League Baseball and say, hey, listen, Major League Baseball had some hiccups, and they didn't have to bubble, and they got to their championship series. They're going to get to their World Series. So what are we worried about? We just have to wait this out. If we wait this out, we're going to be solid because it's not apples to apples when you look at the NBA and 15-man rosters, and you're looking at the NFL and 53-man rosters that I believe have been expanded because of COVID, so it's actually closer to 60. It's going to be very difficult to even create the sequester environment. And if you say sequester, it's not a bubble anymore. The moment that someone who's not choosing to stay in the hotel comes into contact with everyone else, your bubble is broken. Now, that's even if the person doesn't have COVID, because the bubble means we're all in here together hermetically sealed. Right now, even that there's some pieces that you could argue with because the staff at the hotels with the NBA and the WNBA players were saying they were not required to stay in the bubble environment. Right. So they were going and coming. That's testing a few people 
and maybe it feels a little bit different. I don't know, because now you would be dealing with hotel staff as well as these players who aren't choosing. And obviously, if you have a team where only 10 guys do this and the other 50 don't, then why are you even trying this, right? So there's just so many pieces. Yeah, I'm going to say false because I don't think – I think that if the NFL was inclined to bubble – they would have done it already. So I think this plan has some merit. I just don't think that the NFL could pull it off based on the things that we've seen so far. And that's too bad, too. I just hope that the season doesn't get, like, trash now with these people who are getting COVID. I hope that we can continue and the season will go because it started exciting and we'd love to see it finish. Okay, Mr. Cummings, our third and final thesis for the week, especially after my Texas Longhorns just pushed the limit of the, these rules. Last weekend, college football <laughs> has the best overtime rules in all of sports. What do you the, say? The University of Kentucky also lost in overtime to Ole Miss, so I we commiserate once again. This is <laughs> this is a hard F. What do you Ooh. say, Mr. Ainsworth? Oh, I I think I'm on the hard A, which is fascinating. Oh, wow. I cannot, oh god, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so disappointed in you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you went. Hard F, which is mind-boggling in a lot of ways. So I got to ask, why are you wrong? Why? <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, I can't believe you went hard A. Anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that piece. But college football and their playoff system, for those of you guys who are unfamiliar, essentially it's this alternative uh, uh, play. You start at the 20. You're basically in the red zone. 25, actually, right? You're basically in the red zone. And then you have your you play to get into the end zone, right? So you can get a first down, right. that sort of thing. Um, you can kick a field goal, and you choose based on when you win the coin toss at the end. You choose if you want to go on offense first or on defense first, and you go back and forth, and then you alternate offense and defense if both teams score. Eventually, after three overtimes, you have to go for two. You you go back and forth until someone has more points than the other. After each team has had a chance to do an overtime round. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. It is the worst idea. This is, so this, you know what this is. This is like the NHL when they go to penalty shots at the end. This is soccer and they go to the penalty kicks at the end. So listen, we played a whole game that has all these rules. We have all these different uh, facets of the game. All these things that become incredibly important. I spend an entire season coaching my kids to do all these different aspects of the game. And then we get to the end of a game, and you just want to take so many of those elements out. We're not, special teams isn't important anymore, right? We don't, we don't punt. There's no kickoffs. There's nothing. None of I that believe, stuff in there. I so, believe both Texas and Oklahoma would argue special teams are important. Well, <laughs> listen, I think that a lot of teams <laughs> would make that argument. My point is that you get into the overtime, and all of a sudden you start to diminish those things. So you start to diminish clock management. You diminish timeouts. Like, these things don't become important anymore because you've essentially created this false... It's not even real football. Like, that's closer to a 7 or 7 scenario than it is a real football game. To me, the sports that do it the best are the ones that say, we're just going to play more of what we've already done. So, in other words, four quarters weren't enough. In hockey, when they get to the playoffs, three periods weren't enough. So, we're just going to keep playing. And we'll play until we get a winner. Now, I don't think that football is a sport that lends itself to playing until you get a winner unless it's yeah. the playoffs. So I'm also not one of these people that says that you can't tie. We're going to play one more quarter. And if we tie, we tie, right? That's it. Just play the quarter. What I hated with the NFL rules was this idea that 
it was sudden death. But I understood why they did it because it was a safety thing as much as anything else. They don't want you to stay out there and keep playing. So if you kick a field goal, everybody go to the house. That's what I don't like. But if you're not doing sudden death, just play the quarter. Now we play an extra quarter. If we're tied at the end of the quarter, we're tied. And guess what? If you can score in the quarter, and the other team gets the opportunity to score too. Because I've seen teams score seven points in a quarter, and then the other team come back and score 21 consecutive points on them. <laughs> like, so I don't understand why we don't just keep playing the game. I, I think my thing there is that, like, it adds another layer and level of strategy to coaching. It's like there are coaches that are coaches and teams that are good at overtime and bad at overtime. And that's intriguing to me. I also think, if I'm being honest, especially with college football, the games are already four hours. Let's finish this thing up and find out which one of you is better. Like, like let's let's wrap it up and finish, right? Now, when a team goes into four overtimes like the Texas OU game did over the weekend, doesn't quite help my argument. I mean, I was just going to say, like, that the overtime took as long as the game did almost. But the, the deal that, that is fun about college overtime is you go for two in the third overtime – and in the fourth overtime. And then if you haven't decided after four overtimes, they didn't get there on Saturday, but the fifth overtime is just rapid-fire two-point conversion after two-point conversion. That's awesome. That, that's, that's, that's like, put it in my veins. That's, like, that's, the, that's like the crack cocaine of sports. Score, 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 score. That, that's, that's all the fun. Um, <laughs> I, I do disagree. You're arguing for crack. That's what you're arguing for. <laughs> the, the thing I will concede is that it takes out kickoff, kickoff return, punt, punt return. But I don't think that that negates all special teams, right? On Saturday, you saw, again, taking Texas OU. Texas had a field goal blocked and then turned around and gave up a field goal to Oklahoma, but the guy shanked it. And obviously, like, it still matters. I think what I, I appreciate, though, is just like we get to soccer and it gets to the they play their overtime or whatever, and then they go to the penalty shootout, or they go to the penalty shootout after an overtime period in hockey or whatever it may be. It, it adds this element of, like, really, someone needs to win, right? Because I am a someone wins and someone loses kind of guy. I'm not much for ties. But it also, like, it does feel kind of random after some point. Like, at some point, it's like, oh, man. You know, like, we lost in overtime. How awful was that, right? We lost in shootouts. We lost in our fourth overtime against Oklahoma. Like, oh, man. They were... It does add this, like, oh, like this weird thing happened at the end. And I, and I like that. I like the weirdness of it. I also like in the overtime rules for college football that both teams get a shot because I understand you're saying that the NFL, they play a quarter, and so maybe you should just get a shot, you know, get a stop, and then you get a shot or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. But there is some, I've seen, you know, the famous the most famous thing Tim Tebow did in the NFL was throw a long touchdown pass to win overtime in the second play of the game or the second play of the overtime after the kickoff and Pittsburgh never had a chance to respond and I think that isn't as fair may not be the right word it may not be as determinant of the better team to me because in football any team can anybody can just break a couple tackles on a random play but I that's mean, not what happened on that play what happened on that play was Pittsburgh busted their defense so now you want to reward Pittsburgh for playing bad defense by giving them the ball back after Denver's offense took advantage of your bus. If you want to get the ball back, play better defense. It wasn't like you were playing against Joe Montana. You were playing against Tim Tebow. Tim but Tebow if you don't, in the NFL, if, not in college. Not in college. If you don't, but if you don't want to go back and forth in the college style overtime, win in regulation. Like that's, that's the same thing, too. Like there, no, there, that's not the same thing because if we have played a game of four quarters of strategy – and now we come out even after that. There have been ups and downs and ebbs and flows and swings. That's football. 
that's any sport, right? Any sport, if there's quarters, and obviously in hockey there's periods. That's any, that's any sport. It's ebbs and flows, right? So now you have literally seen everything I have to offer for an entire game. Let's play one more period. Now, if I'm able to strategically find something in what you're doing to beat you in that extra period, that's not the same thing. Like, I just beat you. I outlasted you, right? Sometimes sometimes that's who wins, too. How many games have we seen where the thing is tied going into the third quarter and the other team just figures out a way to outlast? And so you just didn't go to overtime. And we never complained about that. So now why are we complaining about it in an overtime period? But it's not that football players are playing not football from the 25-yard line. It's no, just, you, they are, diff- they're not playing football. That's diff- that is penalty kicks. That's not football. Like, when, whenever in football, we both coach, we both played, whenever in football do they say, hey, just get the ball to 25 and go. That's not football. You took clock management all out of it. Like, you removed that element. So that's oh, not I football. I, I think it's very – it's still 11 on 11. No, this, it's still – it's it's, it's football. <laughs> it's, they're still they're still playing ball. It's listen, not... they're blocking and tackling. I get that, but I, again, you've taken out the overwhelming majority of special teams. The only part that's in there is the field goal. You've taken out all the clock management elements that that actually dictates how some teams play. Like watch Army and Navy and how they play. Like they play to manage the clock. They play to prevent you from getting the ball. That's in part their system. You're just taking that away from them. You're taking the element away because now we're not playing with a clock anymore. We're just playing based on downs. So now you're taking that strategic element out. You've impacted coaches now. But you're, you're, added, you're adding in you're adding in new ones because you're also like you're incentivized to go for it on fourth down because you've seen the other team score or what you know the situation. Like there's all kinds of different. You can be incentivized to go for it on fourth down as well. That's Mike Zimmer. Like I mean, you could do that. You could do that during regular play as well. There's a reason why you don't, right? Like I mean, there's again. I think that it's not football. I interrupted you. You go ahead and tell me that this is real football. Please convince me. Because it's still 11-on-11 11 11 tackling. You want to win, make it force a turnover. Like, like There's plenty of ways to Hold win on. in a Why real was it situation. Now you, now you done lost me. Why was it okay? Why was it not okay for Tim Tebow to throw the long pass? That's football too. No, I'm saying I watched this great, tremendous playoff game for four quarters, and then overtime ends in 10 seconds. I'm like, wait, like... Yeah, like because, there was a whole because other, you busted. All the rest of the period. But there's but, a whole rest of the period. I get that, but that, you like, busted. They added a new period, and then there's not even a period anymore. You busted. Like, like, it's not my fault that I'm better than you at this play. You busted. But like, if you I bust mean, in the beginning of any other period, of any of the other four quarters, it's not it's not do or die the first play well, listen, of the quarter. I'm, listen, quarter. I'm not – and you can go back to the beginning. I'm the one who said I don't necessarily like sudden death. Play the whole quarter. But what I'm not here to – I guess I don't want to hear that the sudden death is bad, but this crazy, wonky, made-up, seven-on-seven type football was somehow good. Like, it's not that one is bad and one is good. They, if you want to say they're both bad, then that's fine. <laughs> but, like, I'm not in love with this overtime thing either. That's why I say play the just play another period, right? So then if you score first, that's fine. I can score three more times in a row, and I I actually beat you in overtime 21-7 to in a game that went 0-0 into the overtime, right? So I think that that's okay as well. Anyway, it's not football. It's not we football. Bo- we both came into this with very hot takes. Here's my one question I got for you. What do you think of the tie break set in tennis? Tie breaks in tennis makes sense to me. The, what, what, like, I'm this is very genuine question because it's another I think like fate it's and another fun overtime where it's like two serve two serve two serve two serve what like is that is that fundy is that the same kind of that's tennis so essentially it, but it, it's just repetitively two serving until someone breaks at some point right absolutely like it's tennis it's tennis it's what you do right so in tennis I'm trying to get with four points and I'm trying to get four points before the other player can tie me at some point right 
Because if they tie me, then we end up getting into this whole tiebreak thing for a point. Then, of right. course, you do the same thing with sets. You do the same thing for a game, right? So when you have that game, I, it was Wimbledon, right, with Isner, and it went like three days. Like, yeah. okay, I'm fine with that. They're playing tennis. Like, they're going back and forth, and they're still playing the game. They didn't all of a sudden say, hey, you know what? We're going to wheel out the ping pong table, and now you're going to finish it here. Like, that's what it feels like <laughs> overtime is. It's like we played a whole game with a whole set of rules. Right. With a whole I, I really... I really wasn't going to try to force you into a contradiction. I think it's one of the other great overtime methods, and so that's and I think they're fairly similar. And so that, but I understand liking it. I mean, likening it to more like the original game. I just I I feel like they're both very very strong overtimes. And so that's why I was asking your take. No, I, I will say this, and this is what I think people confuse. And I don't know if you're confusing it, Parker, because you might genuinely just believe that it's, this is the best. There's a difference between this is exciting and this is the best. College football overtime is exciting, just. Like like the penalty kicks in soccer are exciting just like penalty shots in hockey are exciting that does not mean that they're the best <laughs> they just are exciting oh, they're fun to watch but that yeah, doesn't I mean think... they're the best way to actually decide it's like the ncaa tournament one and done is exciting that does not mean that that's the best way to decide your champion no i, I agree there I, but i would also say that i i think it is also the best but but i understand what you're differentiating there the same way that like sudden death anything like golden goal is there's this constant tension in the old golden goal soccer games right i mean that you really can have a sudden death feel like it's the most exciting version of this as well because at any point it can all break Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. I just want you to know that I paused the recording before this last segment because I heard this continual banging on Parker's end. And I'm like, what is that? I thought someone was trying to break into his house or running into his garage door or something. Turns out it's just the trash. So it's all good. We love our trash people. Parker, (laughs) tell us about some other uh, (laughs) workers who we definitely love. But make sure you also tell folks about our socials. Oh, uh, the... People that pick up after us, people that make things cleaner for us, especially in COVID, uh, people that prepare food for us, tip your waiters and waitresses. Um, no, but you can find me on social and tell me <laughs> anyone I might have left off at on Twitter. I'm at Paintworth512. That's at P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H 512 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can talk to the both of us on uh, the FN Sports Twitter page. That's at FN Sports 2, F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, the number two, all one word. On Twitter, I'll use dash CC. <laughs> I'll use dash PA. No, sometimes you probably do use dash CC. If you don't like the take, it was Parker. <laughs> <laughs> I use dash PA. Shaka uses dash CC. Uh, Shaka, we also have an Instagram. We do. You can follow us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. Ooh, we made it through another episode, Parker. Thank you guys for listening. Please make sure to go out, like, subscribe, share. Oh, my football team's 5-0. Did I tell you that? Yeah, we won. We played on Thursday instead of Friday. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, please like, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things to help out the podcast. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this... But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet.